0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the 21st chapter, beginning at the 8th verse. The next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. It is a good morning, isn't it? The sun's shining rather cold, but it's nice to be here in God's house and to worship him. Today, as you know, is the 18th Sunday after Trinity. The text that I just read tells of an incident that occurred up in the city of Caesarea, located on the Mediterranean Sea. Paul had just finished his third missionary journey and with his companions he was heading for Jerusalem. And on the way to the holy city they stopped at Caesarea and they visited at the home of the evangelist by the name of Philip. He was one of the seven deacons that had been appointed in the Mother Church in Jerusalem. You recall Stephen was also one of them. He was not the Apostle Philip. This man had four daughters, they were unmarried, and they had the gift of prophecy. And as they spent several days there at Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean, a certain prophet came down, his name was Agabus, he came from Judea, and he came to this home in Caesarea where Philip lived and where Paul and his companions were. And this man, he took the belt that Paul used, that he used to tie up his outer garment, and this man, Agabus, took this belt and he wrapped it around his own feet, and then around his hands, and then he gave a prophecy. He said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit. He says, So likewise shall the Jews in Jerusalem bind the feet and the hands of the man that owns this belt. And then they will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he gave that prophecy, Luke, who tells us about this, and the companions, uh, they turned to Paul and they said, please don't go to Jerusalem. If it means bonds, if it means chains, and it means you're going to be arrested, and you're going to be put into the hands of the Romans, uh, don't go. And then Paul turned and he said to them, "Uh, Why are you weeping? And they were crying and he said, Why do you break my heart? And then Paul said, Why, I am ready not only to go to Jerusalem to be bound, but I'm ready to go and to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, if it's God's will, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem not only for fetters, for chains, but I'm ready to go and die. And then Luke tells us, that they stopped trying to persuade him. They knew that they couldn't stop him. He was going to go to Jerusalem because he figured this was God's will. And look, says we stopped, except we said this, the will of the Lord be done. A small group of Christians over in Caesarea that day, uh, they bowed in submission to the will of the Lord, and they said, God's will in this matter be done. And today, as Paul speaks to you and me from the Word of God, he calls on you and me as Christians in our Christian life to see to it that this is the guiding principle in your life and mine, that this is our motto, the will of the Lord be done, that we say to ourselves, may God's will be done regardless of what that will may be. Paul calls to you and me from the Word of God and says, let this be your second nature that it's always the will of the Lord be done may God's will be done in my life regardless of what that will may be and you and I may stop for a moment we say why should I let that be the second nature in my life why should I bow in submission and in surrender and in subjection to the will of God we may say now after all what's so wonderful about the will of God we may say, look, in this case, it meant if Paul went to Jerusalem, it meant chains. It meant to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. It meant prison. What's so wonderful about doing the will of God? We may say, it seems cruel at times. It seems heartless. It seems something that you and I don't want to do. We're afraid of it, and we say to ourselves, no, I'm going to reject it. I, I don't want to bow in acceptance to God's will. Where is there any joy? Where is there any trust? Where is there any comfort that comes to you and me? And yet the Apostle Paul, even as with that group over in Caesarea that day, when again they all agreed, we bow in humble submission to the will of God. May the will of God be done, they said, and and Paul would say, and I urge you, see to it in your Christian experience, that you'll always say, this is the second nature in my life, May God's will be done. Because Paul would remind you, me, it's a wonderful will. It isn't anything to be afraid of. It isn't anything to reject. Paul says you ought to accept it gladly. It brings comfort. Because Paul would remind us that it's good. God's will is always for our benefit. It is always for our good. And we may say, when is God's will in my life for my good and for my benefit? And Paul would remind you and me in the first place, that God's will, it's always good. It is never cruel, it is never cold, it is never heartless. It is always for your benefit and mine, for our welfare. Because Paul would remind you me that it's God's will that we be born again in the simple sacrament of baptism. Let's go back to the baptismal record in your life and mine if we were baptized as infants. What is God's will in baptism? Jesus says we are born again by water and the Spirit. It means that in the day of our baptism God has willed this. This is God's will that by water and the Spirit you and I who come into this world with the taint of original sin, who come into this world because we are born from sinful Adam and Eve, who come into this world not children of God, that by means of baptism the water and the Holy Spirit We become children of God. Faith is planted into our hearts and we become joint heirs with Christ of eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful will that in baptism God does so much? And therefore, when we look back and we say, I in baptism was presented to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is this comfort and this assurance that since the day of our baptism in infancy, you and I are members of the kingdom of God We belong to Jesus Christ, whether we feel today that baptism did that or not. Today, so many people are talking about feeling in religion. They're telling us about the wonderful experiences they are having. And some of us sit on the sidelines and we begin to question our own selves and we say, I'm not having those experiences. I'd like to talk to you this morning who's never had an experience. You've never felt any different about it. And may I say to you and to myself this morning, that feeling is not the way of salvation. Salvation rests upon faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I can say, even though we've never felt what baptism has done for us, that in the day of baptism, when we were infants, Jesus Christ came into your heart and mind, and we became living members of his glorious kingdom, whether we've ever felt it or not. You know, the Roman Catholics have a pretty nice custom about baptism. I know sometimes they wonder, why does the Roman Catholic sprinkle himself with holy water? Do you realize that the reason for it is this, that he is to remind himself every day of his baptism. It was a great day in his life. When as an infant he was baptized. To remind himself that in baptism Christ claims him as his own. Rather nice, isn't it? Whether you and I feel it or whether we never feel it or never have an experience, let's know this. No wonder, Paul said, let it be your second nature. That it's always this, the will of the Lord be done. That you ever bow in acceptance and you never reject it, because God's will is a wonderful thing. Paul reminds you, Neither God's will is wonderful, it's gracious, it's warm, it's comforting, because God has willed that all men should be saved and not one human being lost. What does the word of God say? God says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. God says God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is this, not one soul do I ever want lost. I have never predestined one soul to damnation. You and I say, that's a wonderful will of God. And God proved that that was his will because he sent Jesus Christ into the world, his only son. He was no less than God. He was of more value than the human race. If we put Jesus Christ, as it were, over here in one corner, and we put the entire human race over here, if there will have been 1,000 trillion human beings, and we would say to God the Father, God the Father, who is of more value? Jesus Christ or 1,000 trillion human beings? God, without hesitation, would say, Jesus, because he's my son. He is God. He is without beginning. He is of more value. This was God's will that he come into the world and he went to Calvary's cross, you know, and he bore hell and damnation for the entire human race that by repentance and by putting trust in him we might have eternal life. And when it is, the again, the second nature in your life and mine, that we say to ourselves, God's will be done. This is what I want. I bow in submission and I accept it. That means that you and I repent of our sins. We tell him we are sinners and lost and damned. And it means we put our faith in him, our trust in him. And it means in that moment again, we put on the robe of righteousness that he earned for us on Calvary. Then there comes what this assurance that we know that we are rescued from damnation and from hell, that we are saved unto eternal life, whether you and I feel it or whether we don't. I'd like to talk to you who've never had any feeling one way or the other. Bear in mind, salvation doesn't depend on a feeling because feelings vary. Martin Luther said one day when somebody said, Luther, do you feel you're saved? He said, no, I feel that I'm lost, but I know that I'm saved. Paul didn't say, I feel that I'm saved. Paul said, I know what i believe in bear in mind that it's faith that saves it isn't a feeling Uh, don't cry and weep and underestimate the fact as to whether you're a child of god because again you can't shout praise the lord and you're not going into ecstatic trances like some are thank god if they are fine but don't you ever draw the conclusion that because you and i don't that that means we're not children of god over there in caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, a little group of Christians that day said, May God's will be done. They bowed in submission. They accepted it, and they didn't reject it. Why? Because God's will is a wonderful thing. You and I don't have to be afraid of this and cold It isn't cruel It this and heartless. Why? Because Paul would remind us it's a wonderful thing. God graciously forgives us our sins every day. Think of it. We, again, who are Christians, we sin every day. In ignorance, we do things that are wrong. And again, in weakness, we do things that are wrong. We don't want to do them, but we think things that we shouldn't think, and we say things at times we shouldn't say, and we do things that we know we didn't want to do. But isn't it a wonderful thing to know that it's God's will to forgive you and me every day that we stand, as it were, under Niagara Falls? with a fall again because jesus pleads for you and me every moment of our life that it's as though niagara falls were flowing that there isn't a billionth of a second but what god's forgiveness is ours even before we ask him there isn't one inch of time in your life and mine but what again or in the space that we walk but what god's forgiving grace is yours and mine it's a wonderful will God is so gracious and God forgives you and me that each day when we ask him to forgive us, he said, I've already forgiven you. Again, the forgiveness of your Savior, Jesus Christ, has kept you whiter than snow. And that means this comfort and this assurance when it's second nature in your life and mind to say, God, I want your will to be done, to know that we're always in grace. We're always in a saved relationship with Christ, whether you and I feel it or not. Salvation does not depend on a feeling. Don't let anybody ever tell you that. Salvation depends upon your trust in Jesus Christ, whether you feel it or whether you don't, whether you've never had an ecstatic experience and whether you never will. it all, again, do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? when again we can say yes I do oh again this assurance that I'm in grace I am in a saved relationship with him and therefore again isn't it any wonder that Paul calls to you and me and he says let this be the second nature in your life the will of the Lord be done God's will be done you and I say what's so wonderful about that will why the wonderful thing about that will is this that God wills illness in your life and mine and sickness in order to refine us never to punish us Sometimes we're afraid of God's will. Sickness comes and we say, what did I do wrong? When you and I are Christians and sickness comes, is it God's will to punish? God never punishes his children. When you and I have our faith and trust in him and illness comes, it's never punishment. No, God punishes only those who are apart from him. But it's refinement it's a wonderful will. When he sends illness, he says, will you bow in submission? Will you accept it? And what happens when we accept Then God begins to refine us because he loves us. You see, all of us have got some hard knobs on us, haven't we? And we've got some rough edges, and they need to be taken off. And sometimes we get careless in our Christian experience. And so in mercy, God wills illness. And then he has a chance to talk to us, and he, he refines us. Like the refiner that throws the nuggets in the bucket, you know. And he puts the fire under, and he boils the nuggets, and he blows off the smoke, and the dross goes. And when he looks at the gold, and he sees his image in the gold in the bucket then he knows that it's been refined. And so God in his will refines you and me, but he never punishes. And that means that when we surrender to him, when we bow in acceptance to his will, and it's our second nature to say, God, may your will be done in my life, it means this, that God draws us closer, he refines us, and we come to appreciate more and more what we have in him. He draws us the way he brings us to come closer to Christ, to realize what it means to be saved. To realize what it means to have peace within. To realize what it means to know that an eternal life awaits us. This is God's way in his will. His will is wonderful. It is surpassing. Let's never be afraid of it. Let's never say it's cold and it's cruel and it's heartless. Oh no. Paul says let it be your second nature in your Christian life. The will of the Lord be done. May God's will be done. Why? It's a wonderful thing and what comfort we get and what assurance because... Again, Paul would also assure us uh, that God sends the cross in your life and mine to make it easier for others to believe. And we may say, well, after all, what did Paul get out of this thing? Here he is at Caesarea. The Holy Spirit says, go to Jerusalem, Paul. And then the Holy Spirit brings Agabus, and Agabus says, when you go, Paul there's going to be changed for you. You're going to be arrested, and you're going to be put into the hands of the Romans of the Gentiles. Why? Because he's a Christian. You and I are say, isn't that cruel, isn't that horrible, isn't that heartless? And I am to bow in acceptance and I'm not to reject God's will. Why is it that God allows his own to bear the cross? And by the cross, I mean the price that we pay when we're Christians. I mean the indignities that come. I mean the arched eyebrows that come occasionally. When we're laughed at and when we are ridiculed because we are Christians. And even with Paul, when he knew what was coming to him, we say... Why is it God's will? You show me something warm. Show me something that is comforting in that will. And God would say, this is the way it is, and this is the way it was with Paul. There are some people who will never be impressed with Christ until they see a Christian suffer, until they see a Christian bear the cross, that a Christian is willing to, again, to endure whatever comes because he's a child of God, to endure the indignities and the blasphemies. When a man on the outside sees that, he says to himself, there must be something to Christianity and to Christ when again his followers will endure the cross. And so when the cross comes, again Paul says, Will you, let it be your second nature. The first is the rule, the model, the maximum of your life. May God's will be done. When you and I do that, and we bear the indignity of the cross, somebody's watching. And there comes this comfort, Jesus says, Great is your reward in heaven if you've borne the cross for me, a reward of grace but the joy that somebody will be in heaven with us who probably wouldn't be there otherwise. And I think that you'll we'll have to say, if it's God's will that I shall bear the cross, that somebody might be saved and rescued from hell, then it's worthwhile. Oh, in your life and mine, just a small little handful of Christians over there in the home of Philip, over on, again, the Mediterranean Sea, in old Caesarea, and they all agreed. They all bowed. And Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know that there are fetters waiting for me, but I, I'm going even if, even if it means death for the Lord Jesus. I'm going. Uh, if that's God's will, he says, this is what it's going to be. And they, they all they stopped. And they said, well, we're not going to try to say, oh, well, Paul, don't do it. Don't go. Please don't. And they said, may the will of the Lord be done. This was the thing. And again, Paul would remind you and me, let it be the second nature in your life. Because it means this that God, it's His will and it's a good will that God has given us a moral code for our happiness. Perhaps the, the, the fine ointment, perhaps the salt that burns, is when we say, But why is it God's will that I observe the moral law? And today this thing is sure under, isn't it? Today we're being told there isn't such a thing as right or wrong. There isn't such a thing as a firm, established, immovable standard of right and wrong. And yet God has given it in the law, hasn't he? God says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And we say, I don't want to do his will. I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And we say, isn't God cruel? Why can't I live the way I want to live? Why do I have to obey God's will in this thing of right and wrong? Why can't I do as you please? I wonder if through it all we sometimes forget that right living means happy living. We're seeing it, aren't we, young folks? When we kick over the moral traces, what are we hearing about? We don't like to talk about them. But with all of it, was Venereal disease, almost of epidemic proportions. Venereal disease. From what? From promiscuity. How many homes are broken up? Now we're heading for abortion. Now the next thing is legal killing. How about dope when we break God's moral law and we're going on a trip? When you need dope, and if it takes $50 a day to keep you in dope, it means you've got to steal. We're wondering even why in our communities we have these petty thefts and homes broken into. Why? Because we don't want to face it, do we? We don't want to face it. That our sons and daughters have been hooked. They've broken the moral code. And they've got to get $50 a day. And they're willing to steal and they're willing to kill in order to get it. Somehow or other, we want to hide our head. It doesn't happen in Marion. Oh, no, it doesn't happen here. But it happens right under our noses, doesn't it? And we say, what about this will of God and this moral code? God has done it for our happiness. And therefore, when we bow in submission to him until there is a standard of right and wrong, what pleases God is right. What God doesn't like, that's wrong. And then when we bow in submission to that will, we say, where is there any joy and any comfort? It's this joy and it's this comfort that conscience no longer digs and condemns. When are you and I more miserable than when conscience condemns, when it damns, that sense of guilt, It drives you crazy, doesn't it? No wonder Paul would say to you and me, this was the motto of my life, God's will be done. This is the way I lived and let it be the motto of every Christian. Let it be your second nature that you say God's will be done. We say, what's so wonderful about his will? Paul would reply, well, God's will is wonderful. It's kind, it's warm." It's good, it's for our welfare, it's beneficial because God wills you and I to have a safe journey, even though it may not be an easy journey. We look at the future, don't we, and we say, what's best in my life? When we get sick, you know what is best? Should we have the illness removed? Or should we have strength to bear? Or should again... God, take it away and send something else. We say to ourselves, if I want God's will to be done, how do I know what is best? Isn't it a wonderful privilege in your Christian life and mine? That when we don't know what is best for us and the world seems to be toppling over on us with sickness and adversity and troubles and the load gets big, to be able to say, God, I bow in submission to your will because you will what is best. You will this. It's your desire that I have a safe journey. You're going to get me to the shore. You are planning my life to get me to heaven. So God, I don't know about the future. I don't know what is best. May your will be done. Sometimes, oh, I've had people say, I don't like to pray. May God's will be done. I don't like to do it. I don't want his will to be done as you and i face the future and difficulties come you know what is best i don't but isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to say but god your will is so good and it's so gracious i bow to your will you promise to get me you promise to get me to the shore may your will god you see by best god says this i always look at your eternal welfare first but then when you pray and ask for my will to be done then I do in your life that which will help you in your heavenward journey, which will never hinder you. Can you think of anything more glorious than that? What a privilege that you and I, when we face an uncertain future, when difficulties and tribulations and adversities come, they will say, God, I don't know what is best, but I know it's your will that you always do only that which is first best, never second best, God, may your will be done. I don't know of any better will to be done, do you? Many in your life and mine, there are decisions to be made. These are hard things. We don't like to make decisions, do we? Here was Paul at Caesarea. Imagine, here was Luke and companions, and here was Philip and his four daughters, and others in the party. Paul, oh, please don't go. Please don't go. And they were crying, and again, and Paul says, please. Guy, your tears don't break my heart. Paul says, what's God's will? What's God's will? What do you do in a decision? Paul did the hard thing. It would have been easier to have stayed in Caesarea, wouldn't it? If he'd have stayed there, there would have been no prison. There would have been no chains. It would have been easy. When decisions come in your life and mine, as the decision that I made just recently, what do you do? You try to do the hard thing. Paul told them, don't cry, don't break my heart. He was convinced this is God's will. Well, the Spirit doesn't talk to you and me directly to tell us what to do. But when we pray and ask for his will to be done, we look at our lives. We say, what is best? When unselfishly in prayer we say, God, this appears to be your will. Then we have the joy of saying, this is God's will as far as I can see it. And his blessings come. And the assurance and the joy that he's going to get us to the shore. And after all, this is what we want. We say, why should it be second nature in my life that I should say God's will be done? Oh, sometimes we hear people say that. We say, what do they mean? May God's will be done. Paul says, let it be your second nature. And we say, I don't know what I want God's will to be done. It's not so good. It, it's cruel. It, it's heartless. Paul says, oh, let it be your second nature. Why? Because even as regards death, what is God's will? God's will in your life and mine is this, that death shall come at the best possible time. Look at the example of Jesus. It was second nature in his life. As a man, he was God, but he was man. It was second nature in his life that God's will, his Father's will be done. He says, I have come to do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And when he was in Gethsemane, he wasn't rebelling against God's will. He was there in Gethsemane, remember that, the night before his death, and he was saying to his heavenly Father, Father, is there any other way to save the world except that I die on the cross? Is that the only way? This was that bitter cup. Oh, it wasn't just death, but he was saying to his father, Father, you're going to load on me the equal of an eternity in hell for the entire human race. In other words, he was saying, God, you're going to lay on me that I shall, and this is a mystery, that I shall bear in my body the equal of an eternity in hell for 1,000 trillion human beings. God is there any other way. This is what he was asking three times. But he always said, God, if there isn't, Not my will, oh no, your will, your will. He went to the cross, didn't he? Because God was saying, son, there isn't any other way. There's no other way to save the world. And oh, how God overruled that death. Jesus went to the cross, and that's what he bore. He bore the equal of an eternity in hell for about 1,000 trillion human beings. How, I don't know. But I do know this, that in that horrible death on the cross, When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God's overruled it that that cross has become the hope of the world, hasn't it? Oh, thank God that Jesus, as an example, this was second nature. God, your will. It was always his Father's will. And Paul went to Jerusalem, and it happened just as the Spirit said to Agabus. He was arrested. He was delivered into the hands of Gentiles taken back over to Caesarea, two years in jail, I was in Caesarea, if you ever get over there, the ruins of the city are still standing, God forsaken looking place, finally to Rome, and finally, because he was a Christian, he had his head cut off, but again, to the last, it was God's will be done, he knew it was wonderful, because he knew, even though it meant death, it was the best possible time, and it meant an eternity that would, Wouldn't be long enough to thank Jesus Christ for life and for salvation. It means this in your life. We ought to let it be again, the motto, the principle. It ought to be our second nature to say, God, may your will be done. His will is wonderful. It's always for our good. It brings us comfort that as we walk the glory road, you know, as he embroidery is our life we've all looked at a piece of embroidery haven't we from the underside and knots and narrows it doesn't make sense but when we look at it as God has embroidered in our lives we say here's beauty here's pattern here is color and someday we'll tell God God I couldn't see it when your will was done that it was best but God it was perfect How you ever did it, I don't know. But God, you didn't make any mistakes. It's wonderful how again you embroidered the pattern of my life. This is what we ought to do. Don't rest it all on a feeling, but let your life and mine be this. God, may your will be done. But as we we can have this comfort, we can sing... Savior, I follow on, guided by thee. Seeing not yet the hand that leadeth me, hush be my heart and still fear I no further will, only to meet thy will, my will shall be. Oh, let it be second nature in your life and mine. The will of the Lord be done. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.